Hey everyone, this is Jaron Hollis with The Believer's Church. I'm so happy that you're here today. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening to this message. I pray that it inspires you, it challenges you, and it helps you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy. It's fun coming to church, isn't it? It is, man. I get energized every single time. And sometimes, any of y'all hear a squeal and see a little dance going on down here? Anybody see that? Anybody catch that? I did. Can I be honest? I watched her worship, and something inside me said, that doesn't look very dignified, Jaron. Don't you think? But then God spoke and said, who are you to judge somebody else's worship? And I want to take a moment just to talk for just a second about that. See, King David, who was the man after God's own heart, as he was dancing, he was bringing, bringing the Ark of the Covenant back from people that had it before. This is the place that the glory of God rested on. Um, he was bringing it back to his city where it belonged. And they would take a few steps, and he commanded him. He said, let's set it down, and then I'm going to dance before the Lord. Right? And it, where they lived back then, it was so hot. It says that he stripped down to his linen ephod. So it's a part of a priestly garment that basically covers the waist down. So he's basically in holy underwear, dancing into the city. And he's giving this crazy, ridiculous sacrifice of praise. And his wife, Michael, looks out and sees him and says, you look like a fool. And in that moment, God struck her barren. But I want to say something about the sacrifice of praise because sometimes somebody's praise might be over the top to some of us. We were talking about worship, me and some of my small group people this week, and we were talking about the sacrifice of praise because we stopped sacrificing animals to God and we started sacrificing with our lives, with our worship. And sometimes you can go to a Baptist church and people don't raise their hands. And sometimes you can come to a Pentecostal church and people are like, Wah! their sacrifice looks different, right? But God, I just want to say this. When I grew up in Pentecost, we were the chandelier swingers, right? We were the holy rollers. So when I worship and you see me down here and I'm doing this, I've done this my whole life. You know how much this costs me? Nothing. But to somebody that grew up in Catholicism, this might cost everything. Right? I wonder what that worship cost that young woman. Just sit with that. Is that okay? Just sit with that. Instead of judging people, just sit with that for a little bit and say, hmm, that didn't look very dignified. But I wonder how beautiful it might have been to God. You know? Let's be careful not to be a Michael. Right? So how many of you guys uh, attempted to slow down last week? Anybody, anybody? Remember we talked about sitting at the feet of Jesus, resting, relaxing, trying to slow down. Did anybody attempt to slow down? Anybody? Did anybody fail miserably at slowing down? <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? So we talked about this promise that Jesus gives us. And he says, listen, if you tie yourself to me, if you bind yourself to me, if you learn to walk at my pace then I will give you rest. He doesn't say you'll get rest. He said, I will give it to you. If you slow down, if you learn to sit at my feet, if you slow down, you sit at my feet, I will give you rest. That causes the weary to rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. I don't want to just get a surface rest. I want a soul rest. I don't want to just fall. Have you ever done this? You fell asleep and you woke up and you felt just as tired as when you went to sleep because you were unconscious, but you didn't rest. It's a difference, right? He says he'll give you rest. So I'm going to kind of pick up this week because we talked about, are we too busy for Jesus? Are we too busy for Jesus? And the, the message was, let's slow down, right? Let's slow down and let's make time to sit at the feet of the master, the one that we say we're following. Let's actually walk at his pace. Let's sit with him. Let's actually follow him. Uh, but I, I want to take us back to where we ended. We ended with this story uh, uh, of a woman named Mary and Martha, right? And, and Martha is 
hosting a small group at her house, right? She's having a birthday party or party, whatever, and she invites the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, uh, the Prince of Peace. She invites the Messiah. She invites Jesus to come to her house. Have you ever had somebody show up to a birthday party like 15 minutes early? You ever, somebody showed up to your small group 10 minutes early and you were hoping that everybody would show up 10 minutes late because you needed that extra time to clean? I'm imagining that Martha is that person in this moment. Mary looks out the window and she's like, hey, Martha, somebody's pulling into the drive. It's a black SUV. Oh, it's Jesus. And Martha was like, hurry, get the pine saw. And she's like, and Mary's not having a word of it. She's just walking to the door and Jesus is walking to the door and Mary is like, hello, come on in. And Martha's like, stop, oh, hi, Jesus. And Mary does what Mary does best. She comes over and she's like, all right, you, Jesus, you just come over here and you just sit down right here and I'm just going to sit right here, right here at your feet. And Martha is like, okay, Mary, that's nice. Jesus is here, but we have a party to prepare for. And Mary is like, but the party just arrived. This is it. This is why we're here. And she's like, no, no, no. Listen, <laughs> you were supposed to clean the bathroom because there's still pee-pee on the potty, Right? Somebody was supposed to cater Qdoba yesterday, but they forgot Mary, right? So Jesus, Martha says, tell my sister that we've got important stuff to do. We've got things to do and we've got stuff to put in the right place and we've got the cake that has to be done. And we've now, now that somebody forgot the catering, we've got to cook a meal. We've got all this stuff to do, this agenda to fill and all of these things to have, right? And Jesus says, read this with me one more time. He says, Martha, Martha, you go put it up. You're worried and upset about so many things. You're worried about so much stuff, your agenda, where you're going, what you're trying to do. But few things are needed. Is he talking about an agenda? Is he talking about priorities? Is Jesus talking about stuff here? Few things are needed or indeed only one, right? Mary has chosen what is better. Oh, talk about big sister, little sister syndrome right there. She's like, Martha is like, my perfect little sister did it again. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Like your priorities, like your busyness, like your hurry, like your checklist, like all of this stuff that you have prepared. All this stuff's going to get taken away. But Mary has chosen the one thing that will not be taken away from her. So I got to thinking, yeah, we might be too busy for Jesus, but the title is this. Are we too busy chasing stuff? Are we too busy chasing after things? Jaron, Jesus didn't say that. Well, we'll get there. You ever feel like it's not just your schedules that keep you busy, but your stuff keeps you busy as well? A couple by the name of the Layards, they go to church here at the Believers, and we were talking the other day at their house, and we were talking about how much we, um, we really enjoy vacation because we feel like we don't have to deal with any of our junk. You know what I'm talking about? You escape your house for two weeks and you go to a fake house somewhere else. You go to a hotel and you get to relax because you're not spending all of your time off work cleaning up all your junk. You know what I'm saying? So funny. Stuff can keep you busy. You ever feel like you're mindlessly chasing stuff? Like TVs and your house. Oh, if I could just get... (laughs) Man, I sound extra anointed right now. You know, you can quit, right? You, you, you can quit. I, I'm like, my goodness. I'm like, I feel like, get up here. It's the altar call already. No, I'm just kidding. Have you ever felt like you're always chasing after stuff, like the next upgrade? Like you go from, y'all remember when 1080p TV was a big thing? You were like, oh my goodness. And right when you got that 1080p TV, 4K television. And you're like, dang it. I got to get more stuff. You upgrade your house. 
right? You go and you, you finally, it's January 1, and you're like, new year, new me. I'm going to get after it this year. And you buy a whole half closet worth of workout clothes. And you clear out the store. And you leave, and you come back, and you go into the store. And now they have these new clothes there with sweat-wicking technology. And you're like, how am I supposed to work out if I'm not getting my sweat wicked? <laughs> Man. How am I supposed to how am I supposed to live with this iPhone 13 when the 15 just came out? How in the world am I supposed to make it? We're always chasing stuff. But it's kind of like we're being programmed to chase after stuff. Right? I'm just talking. We're not preaching just yet. Calm down. Calm down. So I want to kind of talk a little bit about history for a second. Um, So you know America wasn't always this way, this great consumeristic culture. So about 100 years ago, do you know what the main occupation in America was? Farming. Good job. Farming. A little over 90% of all Americans were farmers. Do you know how many people in America are farmers now? 2%. Jeremiah, get up here, take the mic. You can preach today, buddy. Good job. 2%. Isn't that amazing? Because we, we made this switch from being a contributing creative society to a consumer society. And it's like, well, when did this happen? I'll tell you when. World War I, World War II. Okay? We have the, uh, the military-industrial complex, and we started creating consumeristic society. Because what happened is during World War I and World War II, we created these cities, we created all of these factories within these cities, and we called people in, and they said, listen, we've got to defend ourselves, we've got to survive, so you need to come in, and you need to build weapons, you need to build tanks, you need to build bullets, or you need to put bullets together, you need to get uh, clothing for our soldiers, armor, so they can protect themselves. But what happens when war goes out of business? Well, then all these factories that are sitting in, this, in these cities don't have a purpose anymore. So these brilliant minds, I'll say brilliant in air quotes, these brilliant minds get together and they say, here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to take these factories and we're going to turn these tank factories into t-shirt factories. We're going to create a need where there isn't a need. We're going to create a desire where there isn't a desire, and we'll see what happens. So they try to create this economy, and this was the plan all along. I want to read this really interesting quote, and I think that you'll find it really, really almost creepy. Ready? It says, we must shift America from a needs-based culture to a desires culture. People must be trained. Wow. Trained to desire, to want new things. Even before the old has been entirely consumed, we must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Y'all, that sounds like a James Bond villain. No, who is it? Paul Mazur. That's, that's a guy from the 1930s that was a Wall Street banker. We must control. We must reshape. If they don't want it, we've got to make them want it. We've got to make them so hungry for new stuff. Woo! E.S. Cowdrick, a pioneer of the Industrial Revolution, around this same time, he said it this way. He defined what we read just now. He said, you know what this is? Let's label it. Let's call it something. He called it the new economic gospel of consumption. The new good news of always be consuming, always be chasing after the next thing, always be, I know you just got that pair of skinny jeans, Jaron, but there's a new pair of skinny jeans right around the corner and it is good news for you. Right? The new economic gospel. And this conversation was being had 100 years ago. Man, so what am I getting at here? We have never known anything different. We have always been trained. We have always been trained to serve a master. I'm just not so sure it's the right master. (laughs) 
So I'm not saying stuff is evil. I'm not saying stuff is bad. I'm just saying that we've never known any different. There is not a person in this room that grew up outside of the culture that we live in today. We've always been chasing after stuff, but Jesus warned us about chasing after stuff. And this is where I'm going to stick really, really close to the Bible. I'm actually going to go from one moment with Jesus with Mary and Martha to another moment with Jesus where he's teaching. And we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And the reason why we're going to read a lot of scripture today is because when you leave here, because I talked so much about stuff, I want you to be mad at Jesus, not mad at me. Jesus has a lot to say about stuff. He has a whole lot to say about stuff. So Jesus is teaching And he's got a crowd, the Bible says, a crowd of thousands of people that have followed him. They've left the cities, they've come out from the highways, the byways, they've left the synagogues, the temples. You've got all these common people, Jews and Gentile alike, and you have the Pharisees that are out there listening to him. And he's telling them, he's preaching this amazing message, and he's talking about how, listen, you have seen who I am. You know who I am. You've seen the miracles. You've seen the signs. You've seen the wonder. You've seen the power. You've seen the love, the joy, the peace. You've seen all of it. So when the world comes after, you, when the Pharisees among you come after you and they put you on trial in the temples, when they try to crucify you, don't relent. And don't worry about what you'll say because when they have, tri- when they have you on trial in the temples, the Holy Spirit will come and he'll tell you what to say. He's preaching this profound message. And then this Nimrod <laughs> in the crowd, watch what he says. Luke 12, 13, he says, then someone called from the crowd. (laughs) I know that you're telling a really great point, Jesus. I know you're talking about, I don't know, us being persecuted, whatever. Uh, But, hey, teacher, hey, rabbi, hey, master, please tell my brother. Wow, sounds a lot like Martha, doesn't it? Jesus, tell my sister. Tell her to stop being so lazy and, and get to work. The tone changes. Jesus, tell my brother to take half of what was my father's and give it to me as an inheritance because I need more stuff. Man, have you ever been there in church where you eat like half the stuff that the preacher is saying is just going in one ear and right out the other? It could be delivering absolute brilliance and then you're just like, man, I wish he would just tell my mom to shut up. I wish he would make my siblings just, just pastor, I want you to come in and just get my family. Watch this real quick. Man, we, we love, before I move on, we love trying to interrupt Jesus and tell him to do what we think is right, don't we? All right, all right, I'll move on, all right. So Jesus replies, and his replies are always brilliant because Jesus is God. Uh, Jesus says, friend, who made me a judge over you? You see, Pharisees were in the business of actually saying, hey, if you have a family dispute, if you've got a, a wrong with somebody next to you, if you have an offense, if you've got uh, a financial dispute, if you've got anything, the Pharisees made themselves little kings, and they said, why don't you just come visit me at the temple? And you pay me a small fee, and I'll help you handle it, okay? And Jesus turns that over on his head, and he said, <laughs> he's, I can imagine he's looking right at a Pharisee. He said, Who made me a judge over you? That's between you and God. I'm not the umpire here. I'm not the one deciding if you were safe or not. You should be figuring this out on your own. Then he turns to the crowd. This is where it starts getting incredibly brilliant. He said, uh, then he said this. He said, watch out. Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. That poor guy's feelings. He's like, ow, you're talking about me in front of over a thousand people, Jesus. Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Woo. And when he says this, guard against every, beware, watch out, guard against every type of greed, my brain immediately goes back to the book of Genesis. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Anybody remember that story, Adam and Eve's two kids? Uh, So you have Cain who offered a half-hearted offering to God and then you have Abel who offered an offering of his best to God from from the very depths of his heart. One pleased God, one obviously didn't please God. And it made Cain mad, not just at God, but mad at his brother. And God speaks to Abel because he, or he speaks to Cain because he sees the condition of Cain's heart and he says, Cain, watch out 
Well, why? Because sin, not greed, but sin is crouching outside your door like an animal. Ugh. And if you open that door, it is waiting to just get into your house and have its way with you. And I think Jesus is saying something very similar here. Watch out for greed. Because greed, ooh. Uh, Jaron, this is great for everybody else, but I'm not a greedy person. What's the condition of your garage right now? What's the condition of your attic, your basement? Do you have room for your cars? No, you see, uh, uh, greed is only something that rich people do, Jaron. And I'm not, you're rich compared to the rest of the world, so calm down. Right? Most of the world doesn't have the car you have. They don't have the house you have or the apartment that you have. They don't have the microwave. They don't have, they don't live the life you live. You are considerably rich compared to the rest of the world. And not that riches make you evil. Remember what the word of God says. It doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. You see, it's the love. It's the servitude of money. Okay? All right, let's step back. I'm not greedy, Jaron. Can we define greed for just a second? Watch this. Greed is described in the dictionary as an intense and selfish desire for something. Have you ever had a selfish, intense desire for something? Boy, I sure have. It comes around Christmas time when I am about seven years old. There's something, children, listen to me. I say children, you're young adults. But listen, there's a thing that was called a Target ad. It was a little thing that you would open up and you could see all the toys that were coming this way for Christmas. You remember J.C. Penney's catalog, Sears catalog? You always had something. And I would do this thing where I would sit in the lap of my grandmother And she would go, all right, baby, you just open that thing up. She'd hand me a little highlighter, and she'd say, she had this little, she was just this big, jolly woman. I would sit in her lap, and she loved Elvis, and she sounded like this. Her name was Wanda. And Wanda would say, baby, why don't you just flip through the pages, and you just circle anything you want, right? Not that Grandma's going to pay for all of it, but, you know. So here I go. I, I, things that I didn't know existed 10 seconds ago, I now have an intense and selfish desire for all of it. I didn't know I needed that RC car. I didn't know I needed that 12-inch figurine of Luke Skywalker or that video game or that video. I need, I need. And this intense desire, it builds, it grows, right? Oh, well, those catalogs are gone. No, listen, nowadays there's something called the Amazon wish list. Right, And we spend time scrolling through digital aisleways, looking at things that we didn't know existed 10 seconds ago, but we're like, oh, I need, oh, that would be, oh, my life will be so much just wish list, wish list, wish list. I'm, I'm just planning on chasing this stuff, and that intense desire grows. We become obsessed with these possessions until we get them, right? So simple. I think I was 13 years old. I had this video game that I wanted for Christmas. About 3% of the people in the room are going to know what I'm talking about, but it was called Dragon Ball Z Budokai on the PS2. Do I know what Budokai means? I have no idea what it means. Daniel, you know what I'm talking about. Thank you, brother. I'm not alone. I wanted this fighting video game that was based off of a cartoon. I wanted it so bad for like six months. It's all I could think about. It was all I could dream about. Day and night, I was obsessing over this possession. I was like, I am going to have it one way or another, mother. I'm going to have it. And one day, I see under the Christmas tree a DVD-shaped box. If you don't know what DVDs are, it was what we did before Netflix. So DVD box, right? And there's this DVD sitting there. And I'm like, okay, it's in the wrapping. You know, you do the Christmas shake. You're like, what is this? And so everybody's gone in my house except for my Nana, who is my other grandmother. She doesn't sound like this. She's not from the South. She's from the North. And she says things like, oh, don't you know? And I'm like, I'm like, Nana, listen, I have my suspicions that this video game here is the video game that I've been waiting a long time for. And all I want to do, I just, just listen to me, Nana. Just listen to me. Just reason with me. I just want to remove the tape from the Christmas present wrapping, and I want to just slide that thing out, and I just want to see what it is. And she's like, oh, Jaren, I don't know. And I'm like, no, Nana, listen, listen. 
I convince Nana to do it. And then we open it and I slide it out and I'm like, it is Dragon Ball Z Budokai for the PS2. And I'm like, okay, Nana, listen, we've gotten it safely out of the wrapping. Now, if I just get a hairdryer and I melt the cellophane wrapping on the bottom and I open it, I can open up the plastic and Nana helps me do it. Mom, Nana helped me. I did. I took the game out of the case, didn't even break the seal on the cellophane wrapping. Expert move. And, and I, I took it out. I put it in the PS4. I played it for like two or three hours, and I was just, I was in heaven. The object of my obsession had now come into my possession, right? So I'm playing it, and I take it, and I put it carefully back into the box, and I put it carefully back into the cellophane wrapping, and I put a small piece of tape on the bottom, so that way, whenever I open the Christmas present, I can just tear through it really fastly or fast, and they will not know that I pre-opened my gift. Christmas Day comes, I open this game up, and I start playing it, and I'm having a great time, and about a week or two rolls by, and I just stop playing the game. Because I look over here at the TV and there's a new game coming. (laughs) And that game was good, but this game looks great. And if I could just get this game, this will be the one that finally fulfills me. This will be the one that does it. Greed, an intense and selfish desire for something. You see, what happened is I was obsessed with something until it was in my possession. But once I had it, that high wore off. Oh, man. And Jesus, (laughs) he's got some stuff to say about it. We're living in this cycle of one more upgrade, right? You, You get out of your car. Oh, no, 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 no. How about this? You get a car, right? You get a brand new car, you're driving it for six months, but then you go and you sit in your friend's car. Theirs is just a little bit newer. And theirs has Apple CarPlay. The wireless version, you don't even have to plug it in. It charges it and it plays your music. And you're like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Cool car, but I'm thankful. uh, That's a really nice car, but I'm thankful for what I've got. I'm thankful. Two, three months roll by and you find yourself in a car lot right? One more upgrade. I know I've got the iPhone 13, but the 15 looks so good. And the camera is this big now, right? If I just one more, just one more, this will be the one, just a little more. This upgrade is going to be the one that holds me over for the rest of my life, right? Anybody ever heard of the Rockefellers? It's one of the wealthiest families in America, right? John D. Rockefeller, somebody was asking him, got mountains of money. A, a journalist was asking him, they said, John, how much money is enough money? And he looked at him, and he got a smile on his face, and he said, just a little more. Just a little more. Whew, an intense and selfish desire for something. And Jesus is over here shouting, stop! Guard your heart. You think you're chasing after stuff, but greed has got its claws in you. And once you've got the object of your obsession in your possession, you are possessed by greed and you are turned to go and walk and chase endlessly for the rest of your life after something that when you get that other object in your possession, it will wear off and you'll turn. And it will have its claws in you. And it will make you walk this drudge over and over and over. Because you're not serving the right master. Guys, this is just the beginning. We have so much more scripture to read. But there is so much wealth here. There is so, this is gonna be a, you're gonna have, this is gonna be a very filling meal. You're gonna have a lot. So if you're a note taker, get your phone out, take notes because we are sticking close to the words of Jesus because Jesus has a lot to say about stuff. Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Why? Because this greed that has you has got you chasing after stuff and that's no way to live your life. Life is not measured in how much you own. The King James Version says, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And we say, oh, I know that. (laughs) Woo. 
Then Jesus turns and he tells them a story. He turns to the crowd and he tells them a story. Uh, so leave that up there for just a second. I want you to look at that. Then he tells them a story. Have you ever considered the fact that Jesus is God in the flesh and maybe every time he tells a story, it's not just a story? <laughs> maybe God has looked down over thousands of people, this farmer that he's about to talk to, maybe this farmer's name was Frank. Maybe every story that Jesus tells isn't just a story. Maybe it's something that he's witnessed 100,000 times over. And he's just trying to teach you what he knows to be true. Whew. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops, giant farm, opulent farm, wonderful. And this farmer said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. I don't have room for all my stuff. Have you ever thought this to yourself? You look and your attic is full, your house, all your regular rooms are full, so you fill up the attic, and then you go in the basement and your basement is full, and then you try to open the garage and you can't fit your three cars in your garage because your garage is full of stuff, and you say, just like this farmer, where am I gonna put all this stuff? I don't have enough room for my crap. I mean my crop, right? Like, He said, what should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. <sighs> then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll take it all to Goodwill. I'll see a need and I'll meet it. I'll take half this stuff that I don't even need, I don't even use, that tool set that's been sitting in the garage for five years that my friend could obviously use, I'll give it, no, 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 no. <laughs> what does he say? I know what I'll do, I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and all my other stuff, all my other goods, all my other material possessions. I will, <laughs> man, thank God we don't do that here in America. Can I share this with you really quickly? The storage, I mean, how many of y'all seen storage units popping up all over in Louisville, Kentucky recently? And they look real nice. I'm like, man, if I got my act together, I could live in one of those. They've got heating, air now, electricity. I could just install a toilet and I'd be fine. So, like, listen, our storage units are nicer than some people's houses on the other side of the world. It's kind of weird. Every single year, the storage unit industry in America makes $38 billion off of you. I don't know where all my money went. Maybe it's busy over there taking care of all your extra stuff that you don't use. Hmm. 38 billion, and we keep storing up, right? We keep getting more and more stuff. I know, I know, I know I only have four rooms in my house. But did you see the Black Friday ad? That other, that, that 75 inch 8K TV, the deal is, it's, you said it, you said it, the deal is so good, I just can't pass it up. Listen, I, I know we don't have any rooms. I'll find a way to put it on the outside of the house for when we hang outside with the kids. Then we'll get a storage unit to put, uh, uh, right, right, okay. And man, the devil is just laughing his behind off at us. Because when do we do this? When do we obsess over stuff the most? Thanksgiving Day, the day where we're supposed to spend, we're supposed to spend our time being thankful for what we do have, we spend it lusting after things that we don't have. Some of us, legitimately, we're strategizing. We're like, all right, listen, here's the game day game plan. <laughs> JCPenney is last because they don't have anything good anymore. We're going to Best Buy and Target first. We have to get there by this time. The doors open at 6.30, and if we don't get there to get the door busters, I'm gonna get you, buster, right? Chasing after stuff. And we pile all of our stuff. I, you know what, some of you guys in here, you're laughing. You're like, <laughs> you idiots. You're out there. On Friday, haven't you heard of Cyber Monday? I chase stuff from the couch. 
it's the same thing. It's the same devil. It's the same wrong master. It's just taking a different shape. All right, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. I'm, I'm running out of time. You guys, is this okay? You guys tracking with me? Good, good, good. All right. Look, look at what this farmer says. He says, and I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have stored away enough for years to come. You have planned, you have prepped, you have worked, you've spent your whole life chasing a career, you've spent your whole life chasing after stuff. Now, now that you've stored up in the storage unit and in your attic and in your basement and in your garage and you've put enough money in your bank account, now kick up your feet, take it easy, eat, drink, be merry, and then God comes in and kicks the wall down. God says, you fool! I've watched this happen a hundred thousand times. A hundred, a billion, seven billion times. You fool. You will die this very night. You spent your whole life running and rushing and chasing after productivity and hurry and hustle and stuff. And I promised you today, but I never said I would promise you tomorrow. Then who's going to enjoy and rest with everything that you've worked so hard for? You've piled up all this stuff, Jaron. You've collected every video game from your childhood, and you've put it up neatly in the corner, and you haven't played any of it, but it looks nice and shiny. You have the greatest baseball collection. You finally got that beach house. I wish they would put an advertisement on the box of every item, every car, every house that says it's shiny and it's new, but you can't take it with you. Would that make us take a step back and rethink our purchase? All right. Wow. 21 says this. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, whoo, but not have a rich relationship with God. Jesus switches modes. He says, you are a fool if you spend your whole life being hyper-productive, hyper-hurried, chasing after material stuff all the time, but you neglect to put God in the God spot. You've made money and your career and all your stuff your God. What a terrible master to serve. What a fool we must be to chase after stuff instead of sit at the feet of Jesus. Wow. That's great, Jaron. <laughs> that sounds good from a pulpit. Sounds good written down on paper. But I got to make a living. Can I just say this to you? Person that works hard, keep working hard, right? Keep working hard. Jesus was a carpenter. Jesus worked up until it was time for him to minister. But he wasn't just a carpenter. Oh, my goodness, a guy by the name of John came up to me in between services, and he laid this nugget on me. I'm going to lay it on you. You ready? Jesus was a carpenter, he said. But also, do you remember that time when Jesus was just a little boy and his parents couldn't find him anywhere? And Joseph, his stepdad, not his real dad, <laughs> his stepdad came in, and he's like, where were you? And he said, I was about my father's business. What did you expect? Didn't you know that I put God in the God spot? It doesn't matter how young or old I am. God is always number one. Whoa. Man. So, yeah, be a hard worker. Make a good living. But keep God in the God spot. All right? Then Jesus, he turns to his disciples, uh, verse 20, uh, 22, it says this, then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Look at this. Can you imagine the disciples with me for just a second? All these thousands of people are listening to Jesus preach and teach, and their minds are being blown. And the disciples, they're like, mm, yeah, <laughs> that's some good teaching, Jesus. Get them, Jesus. And then Jesus turns and goes, and you, 12, you're the worst. Matthew, 
tax collector. You have the nicest clothes out of everybody and you're constantly worried about whether we're going to have nice enough clothes from day to day. Judas, I put you, I put you in, in charge of the treasury because you're the best with money. I feel like that's going to come back and bite me later, but I put you in charge of it. I put you in charge of it. But you're always worried about where our income is going to come from. And I keep telling you, if you put God first, it's going to be okay. And Simon, Peter, I love you. love you, dude, but you've got anger issues. You've spent your whole life chasing after fish, worried about where the next meal is going to come from. And you keep forgetting about the 5,000 that we fed. Because I put God in his kingdom first. And then he showed up and he provided. And you've been with me for three years, but you keep forgetting. Whoa. You keep worrying. Don't worry about whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Since you started following me, Peter, have you ever had to worry? The question is, is how close are we actually following Jesus? Are we following him at a distance? And because we're following him at a distance, he can't be our provider. He's not actually our master. We call him Lord. We call him Savior but are we close enough to him, slowing down enough, putting his kingdom first to enable him to provide? Whew. Wow. 23 says this, for life is more than food and your body is more than clothing. You're, you, are, you are more than the stuff you consume. <laughs> I know this is hard, right? but you are more than your iPhone. Mm. Ladies, you are more than that coach purse. I, no, I only, I only have coach purses. Listen, I want to tell you a dirty secret. It doesn't even have to be real. It just has to look like a coach purse. Right? I'm a coach purse lady. None of that. None of that fake little stuff without the brand. I got it because I, I just feel good. I just, have you ever heard that? I just feel good about myself. Whew. I just feel good about myself whenever my hair is done a certain way and I wear a certain brand of makeup and I have a certain brand of jewelry. It just makes me feel better about myself. If your identity is dependent on a corporation making something for you, you don't have much of an identity. Men, uh, you're like, oh, Jaron, you get them, you get them, you shut up. <laughs> you shut up. Ah, uh, I don't, I can't drive a Ford. I'm a Chevy man. I like for my trucks to work as hard as I do. Oh, uh, you can't buy those Walmart brand tools. You got to buy a DeWalt if you want it to work. I'm a DeWalt man. We all do it. Listen, I would buy an Android phone. I just like my phone to work. And the war rages on. Listen, if I were a soulless person with no personality, I'd buy an iPhone. But I like to change my background. I like color. Right? You are not what you consume. Isn't life more than your possessions? Are you not more than your stuff? He calls you to be. <sighs> Don't tie your identity to items, please. So now we're going to switch tones really quickly. And band, you are uh, you're more than welcome to come up and get prepared. We've only got about 40 minutes left, so that'll give you the time you need. <laughs> So Jesus, he turns, and like the, the most brilliant preacher, he says, look at the ravens, right? We have, uh, we have screens to illustrate our points, right? 
Jesus could command wildlife to make his points. He was like, all right, ravens. How many we got here? We got 12. Okay, cool. You can do this awesome flying bee like the blue angels. Right when I'm making this point, everybody's going to look. He says, look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. Why? Because God feeds them. And you, you, everybody here listening, you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Woo! This is where Jesus starts getting fiery, right? He says, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No. And if, if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use in worrying over big things? When has worry ever put food on your table? When has worry ever put a car in your garage? When has worry ever put clothes on your back or shelter over your head? Worry has never done it. Maybe you've worked hard and you've made it happen, but are you waking up to the fact that God says that he can help make it happen? Whew. Man. In 27, he says, look at the lilies and how they grow. I bet he made those things grow overnight just to make this point. Look at the lilies and see how they grow. They don't work to make their clothing. Yet Solomon, the wisest king who lived in the most opulent palace, he, watch, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. In all of his glory, he was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for this tiny little flower that's here today and it's thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Don't you see that? Don't you see that, Hebrew children of the one true God? Don't you hear that, 21st century Christians, followers of Christ, that Jesus Christ, oh, man, I, man, Jesus, Jesus is making some really bold claims here. I don't know if I can, he's, man, I, listen, remind yourself that Jesus Christ is not just a good teacher. He is God disguised in the flesh, telling you his heart. What? Yes. He is telling you as a teacher what God is going to do for you if you step into the boundaries of his kingdom. But man. (laughs) Then he turns. I wanted to separate this verse from all the other ones so you could see it. He turns and he says, why do you have so little faith? Why do you have so little faith? Why is your faith so small? Faith, we kind of adulterate and twist that word. It can mean I have faith. That means I go to church on Sunday morning. I have faith. I do the rosary. I have faith. No, 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 no. Faith is trust in the unseen God. And Jesus says, why is your faith in the unseen God so small? And I have this sneaking suspicion that one of the main reasons why our faith in the unseen God is so small is because we were never trained to serve the right master from a young age. Most of us were sent off to go serve the wrong master before we even left our parents' house. To trust in a different God. To trust in a different master. Oh. See, a lot of us have become someone else's servant, some other God with a little G. We've become some other God's servant, and we didn't even know it. Jesus says this, and he says, and don't be concerned about what to eat and what to drink. Don't worry about such things. Oh, verse 30 says, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. But your father already knows your needs. Don't miss how brilliant this is. These thoughts, all this stuff that you're chasing... This lifestyle, this mindset, this obsession over possessions dominates the thoughts of everybody outside of my kingdom. But for the kids that say that they're a part of my kingdom, you shouldn't worry about it. Because when you come home to daddy's house, when you step inside of my walls, I will provide. But if you are outside of my walls serving the wrong master, I can't give you what you need. Because you're not sitting at my feet. 
Because you're not serving me. Because you don't love me. Because you don't trust me. You've put your trust in the wrong God. You're outside of my city. You're outside of my walls. You are outside of my provision. You work hard night and day. You strive for the house, for the cars, for the TVs. And when you go and you buy it serving the wrong master, be careful not to call it God. Because it wasn't me. Because you never gave me the chance. Jaren, you don't understand. I've got to work out how I'm going to make a living. I've got to do more. I've got to hustle more. I've got to make more. I've got to look out for myself because if I don't look out for myself, who is going to look out for me? Who? Verse 31 says this, seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. He says, if you put the God thing first, if you put me on top, I'll make sure that everything else falls into place. But you've got me down here in slot number five. And I can't operate as a provider in slot number five or four or three or two. Only number one. It's the way I designed it. Oh. So you can keep chasing stuff and barely get what you need. Or you can sit at the feet of Jesus and be given everything that you need. Woo! Oh man, I knew it. I had my suspicions. Jaron is a prosperity gospel preacher. No, listen, there's a massive difference between prosperity and provision. I'm not saying God's going to give you a Lamborghini or a million dollars. Listen, why? Because God knows some of you can't handle a million dollars. Because if he gave you a million dollars, you'd start serving the million dollars and you'd leave him in the dust. If you got that Lamborghini, if you got that Lamborghini, you'd take it for Sunday drives and leave his church behind. I don't think everybody is supposed to be rich. There, I said it. Why? Because God knows some of you, your hearts can't handle being rich. You know, he knows that your heart would turn and start serving the wrong master. You would fall out of love with him and fall in love with the thing he gave you. So he only gives you what you need. Oh man, 32 says this, so don't be afraid little flock for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. It gives him great happiness. It makes him giddy. You ever had happiness and joy when you give your kids something and you just see them fill full up with life and happiness and joy and you, you just, God feels that so much more intensely than you feel it. And then he says this, the thing that ugh, I've been struggling with getting to this one, he says, sell your possessions. Whoa, Jesus. I'm okay with you giving me stuff. I'm not okay with you telling me to get rid of stuff. No, no, no. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Why? Because this is what stores up wealth for you in the here to come. The hereafter. The, all this stuff that you're storing up that you're going to die and leave behind. Don't do that. Sell your possessions. Be generous and give. And that will store up treasure for you in heaven. So I'm going to leave Luke and we're going to go to Matthew and this is where we're going to close. I promise you. You guys still with me? You all right? All right. Good, good, good. I just want to make sure that... no. no. Don't fall asleep with me. Don't fall asleep. Come on. You just, you, just, you just stay awake. Stay awake. We're almost there. We're almost there. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And then Matthew, Matthew is there for this same sermon. He's there for this same message. Matthew 6, 20 through 24 says this. And this is how Matthew writes it down. He says, store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. In the kingdom of heaven, whatever God gives you, it's not going to get taken away. It's amazing. What a beautiful promise. What an amazing promise. And 21 says this, wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. Where your heart is, that's where you're gonna be. Is your heart chasing after stuff or is it sitting at the feet of Jesus? Whew. And then he takes this really weird turn. And so many of us we don't know how to study the scripture contextually. We like to flip open our Bibles and slam our finger down and go, speak to me, Lord. 
And we read things out of context all the time. So I'm going to read the scripture to you in context, and I'm going to help you understand it a little bit better. Jesus turns and he says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for the body. Why are we talking about eyeballs, Jesus? When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. And I've had so many people, well-meaning youth pastors, people in church teach this out of context all the time. And I thought that they were right. I didn't know that they were absolutely wrong. So many people are like, you know, a whole herd of young people go and see a rated R movie. And they're like, if what goes into your eye is dark, dark is what's inside of you. But if you stop watching pornography, the light inside of you is great. There is absolute truth to that, but that's not what Jesus is saying here. You see, when he says, when your eye is healthy, what this means in ancient Hebrew, their culture, the way that they looked at it, is he said, when you have a healthy eye, it means you have a generous outlook on life. When you see somebody with a need, you are generous and you meet the need. When you see an orphan or a widow or a homeless person that doesn't have food, instead of saying, ah, no, 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 they're they're probably a drug addict. I'm just gonna keep that $5 to myself. Because what if I need it, right? What if I need it? Watch this. Oh, man. But when your eye is unhealthy, when you have a greedy outlook on life, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. If you look at people in situations, you see a need and you refuse to help when you are overflowing with items, when you are overflowing with material wealth, when you, are, when you have all the opportunity in the world to be generous, but you keep it all to yourself. Why? Well, I know, honey, you should give those tools to Frank across town. Why? He's starting a construction business. Well, what if I need them? You haven't touched your tools in eight years. See, it's that greedy, impoverished, poverty mindset that says, if I don't take care of myself, if I don't look out for number one, who's going to look out for me? God is going to look out for you if you make him number one. Woo. All right, this is the last verse. This is the last verse, and I want you to stand with me really quickly. Oh, He takes this really strange turn after talking about the eyeball, and then he says, no one can serve two masters. No one can run and worry and hustle like the world and be inside the kingdom of God. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money at the same time. You cannot follow after me and sit at my feet and chase your stuff. See, Jesus does something here in the original language. He says you cannot serve God and be enslaved to mammon. Who is mammon? God, the God, little g, of money. The God, little g, of greed. He says you cannot be greedy. You cannot serve after this master. He's not saying don't be a hard worker. He's not take, I've had people come and say, oh, after messages like this, go, oh, man, I feel so liberated. Why? I feel called to the ministry. I'm quitting my job tomorrow. And I'm like, Jesus was a carpenter. Don't do that. You can work hard, but you can keep God in the God slot. You can work hard, but keep God in the number one spot. And if you're not keeping him in the number one spot, you are stepping outside the walls of heaven, outside of the kingdom of God, and you're saying, I'll do it myself. I believe mammon will provide for me. If I chase money hard enough, I'll get everything I need. You barely might just get what you need. But God says, I want to give it to you. So here's the challenge today. This is not a message of condemnation. This is not a sermon that I'm trying to beat you down. This is a challenge from the living God that says, why don't you trust me instead of mammon? Why don't you step into my walls? So if you want to trust God, why don't you raise your hands right here, right now and say, God, if there is a way in me that I am serving mammon, I'm chasing after money and I'm not chasing after you and I'm refusing to sit at your feet, God, I want to serve you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to slow down long enough to follow you. I want to yoke myself up to you, God. 
if I've not been going your way and I've been going my way, if I've been serving the God of money and I haven't been serving you, if I've been chasing after stuff and I haven't been following in the footsteps of Jesus, God, forgive me. I want to set my stuff aside. I want to prioritize my pursuit and pursue you, not stuff, not things, not material goods, you, God, because you say, you say, if you'll take me up on my promise, if you'll trust my word, if you'll make me your God, if you'll trust me, I will be the God that you need. Let's worship for just a moment. Let's worship. Come on, God, we love you.